0: Well, we're on to our final session uh, before Q&A, which is mental health and the church. In other words, the way that we sometimes see mental health treated within the church and maybe helping to give us a framework as we look at some of these things as to how mental health should be uh, treated within the church and to look at some some biblical examples as well. There'll be some quite difficult issues that we're we're looking at um, and the approach... Is quite nuanced. Um, It's not black and white uh, always. There are shades uh, within that. Um, But having accepted that, we need to look at it as a as a whole, really. So I'm just going to start by reading out some quotes from different people concerning the way that the church handles mental health. And the first one is a quote from Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in the USA, um, who actually a very well-known big mega church if some of you have read the purpose-driven life um is it the purpose-driven life purpose-led life? Life. life yeah um so rick warren um lost his uh, son to suicide and the church since has taken on teaching on mental health um having whole days where they explore mental health and look at it in a holistic manner and look at how the church can support people with mental health Which is great. So this is Rick Warren. Your chemistry is not your character. Your illness is not your identity. It's not a sin to be sick. If your liver stops working and you take a pill, there's no stigma. If your heart stops working and you take a pill, there's no stigma. Why is it that if your brain stops working and you take a pill, there's a stigma? Then another quotation from uh, a lady on, again, an American website, detailing responses to how the church supports mental health. And she said, It was so amazing and freeing to hear our pastor talking about his struggles with OCD from the pulpit. I'd never heard a minister do that before. It made me feel understood and less alone. And another one from the same website, from the National Association of Mental Illness, USA. When it came to physical illness, our faith leaders encouraged us to see cardiologists and medical experts as maintaining physical health allowed us to be good and faithful Christian soldiers. We were taught that God is the ultimate healer, but he can work through health care providers. However, his power to heal through others seemed to stop at therapists or psychiatric interventions. Instead, mental illnesses were treated as spiritual and moral failures. That could only be fixed through prayer and repentance clearly we have a problem the church's attitude to mental health is very divided some individual churches do really well in supporting and accepting those with mental health issues and there is becoming more of an emphasis on it particularly in the uk as i say in the usa it seems to be already there and everything that side of the pond comes over But there are also many out there who have felt abandoned and blamed by those who should have cared for them. Difficult as it is, it's impossible, it's important to look at this issue face on and try and unpick what's going on. Now the next uh, slide might be quite difficult to look at really, Um, but these are some of the things that I have seen and heard um, in response to people with mental illness within the church. So when people hurt and the church makes it worse. You're being a bad witness to others. It may not be said directly, but it may be implied. If you can't put your happy face on, stay away. Shocking. You need more self-discipline. Believe me, if you are overwhelmed by anxiety and panic attacks or deepened depression, there is no amount of self-discipline that will help you at all, because you are how can I put it, frozen behind that. As we said this morning, <clears throat> your, your brain's system, your brain's hormones are flooded with adrenaline, adrenaline and cortisol. And that part of your brain that enables you to be self-disciplined, the executive functions of your brain, um, have just gone into lockdown. So self-discipline is a real struggle. We know that people suffering from depression, even to get out of bed, is a monumental struggle. And there are reasons for that. It's not just that they're being lazy, or they should buck up, or get more self-discipline. Okay, that's why I said remember from the first session all the research behind why we have mental illness, why we struggle, why we're vulnerable. Okay, anxiety is a form of pride. Now, I can't get my head around this one. I really can't get my head around this one. I can't imagine, in a sense, where that comes from. You know, if you're suffering from anxiety, generally you're thinking of yourself as some small, insequential insect. I'm not quite sure where pride comes from. I can unpack it a little bit and think that sometimes, if we're suffering actually from pride not anxiety we will be anxious because we can't control everything around us and we feel that we'd do it better if we could control everything around us that's different that's coming from pride that's not coming from anxiety anxiety comes from the sense that i can't control anything around me and the world is a dangerous place and there's no one there to support me as i say look back to what we researched what we looked at in session one but this has been said This has been said. And I want you to just think, as we're looking at this too, how that feels to someone who is struggling with these issues, when that is said to us or implied. What is going to be the result? That they feel shamed, that they feel isolated, and that they're not likely to come back to you, or maybe to church. Okay, worry is a sin. This is one I've had said to me, actually, Uh, when I suffered from anxiety as a university student. I was a Christian. I attended church regularly. I attended uh, CU regularly. But for various, very valid reasons, I did have anxiety issues. Um, But this is what I was told. So, you know, just pray more. Uh, Yeah, and again, you need to have more faith. (laughs) Well, if you're struggling with anxiety, the last thing you need is to then worry that you're committing a sin as a (laughs) Christian. You're already worried about so many other things. Like, can I get my work in in time? Can I do it? Can I this? Can I that? Now I have to worry about it being a sin and that I don't have enough faith. Um, Depression is self-absorption. Well, when you're depressed, you can't actually see anything outside of yourself. It's not self-absorption. But it's simply, you are in that world and you can't get out of that world. Telling someone who is depressed that they are self-absorbed again does the same sort of thing. It closes the door to any further help or any further conversation. So, I believe that most of these statements do not come from a complete lack of care. I, I don't believe that. I do believe that they come from a lack of holistic understanding about mental health issues because I don't believe that generally in the church we're we're that short on care. I think it's an understanding issue. But the result for the sufferer is just the same. So I want to unpack these a little bit. And Again, this might be difficult to hear, but behind these kind of judgments are sometimes theological positions. So prosperity theology and word of faith proponents might see the mental health sufferer as lacking in faith or harbouring hidden sin. Because if God's favour rested on him, he should be prospering. So what's going on in your life then? Something must be. You need to exercise your faith. Can you imagine Job, David, Elijah, others in the Bible, being told, that they need to exercise more faith, that they simply need, you know, when we looked at the psalm where, where David said, why are you so downcast, o my soul? Someone would come along to him and say, well, that's not a very positive declaration, David. You need to bring the kingdom into the situation. You need to declare. But he knew that God heard him. He knew that God heard him and saw his heart and didn't reject him. So the onus then if someone is in that situation and being told you're not being healed yet because you lack faith or you're harboring hidden sin what happens is the onus for that person's healing flips onto the sufferer not God do you see that he needs to sort his faith and sin issues out or God can do nothing for him God's hands are tied by our mental health suffering Does that sound right? No. Where is the sovereignty of God there? Let's think about that. Where is the understanding that we're all on a journey to overcome sin in our lives and to grow our faith? Whether we have mental or physical issues in our life, we're all on that journey. There are also mantras in the church that can be damaging, although they sound good. There were several I remember that I grew up with. Burnout for Jesus was one I grew up with. Yes, somebody recognises that. You recognise that? Burnout for Jesus. That sounds great, doesn't it? Be all out for Jesus. Yeah, but some folk really did reach burnout. And then it's not quite so funny. Um, There are others, as I said earlier, that be available. Jesus wasn't always available to everyone. And nor can we be. Always feeling that we have to be more passionate. Can I just check my passion barometer? How passionate am I? Oh dear, I need to be more passionate. How do I become more passionate? I don't think there's a directive in the Bible that tells us to be more passionate. I'm not sure there is. I haven't found it. Be 100% available to all is a recipe for stress and burnout. Now, it's worth saying passionate and church leaders are not immune from these pressures. So those of you in church ministry and those of you who have been, as we have, know this. Um, If anything, the pressure on them is greater. Actually, if you didn't know it, church ministry is listed among one of the top jobs for stress. Did you know that? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I I remember quite clearly um, when I worked with one of the missionary organisations in London, I worked with a lady whose father had been a Baptist minister, and she said, oh, people used to ask him quite regularly, you know, what's the, um, you know, what do you need to be a church minister, you know, what's the prerequisite to to be a minister, and he would say, how much can you take? (laughs) My goodness, that's not what I expected to hear, how much can you take, it says a lot, So added to the pressures internally or actually to be 24-7 available are the expectations on today's church leaders that they also be CEOs and business experts, um, that they be counselling and pastoral experts, that they be financial experts, that they be teaching and preaching experts, And basically be Superman or Super Christian. We need to lay those down. We need to realise that our pastors and ministers are human. They're called by God, but they're human. And it feels to me as if what we need is a band of brothers mentality. Any of you are into the band of brothers? See, a band of brothers mentality where we allow body ministry, where we support each other and we recognise the pastor's calling and the need for support and encouragement, um, but not put them on a pedestal and not have unrealistic expectations of them. Okay, sadly, and some of you may know this, since 2018, there have been th- at least three, three that I know of, high-profile cases of pastor suicides in the, you know, in the stateside megachurches. You know, what is going wrong? What is going wrong? and look at some of the statistics. This is from a <clears throat> Lifeway research statistics, that, again from the States, uh, 2018. There are more statistics coming out of the States, as I say, at this present time. There's been less research done on uh, UK churches, as far as I'm aware. So 49 of pastors um, within the, um, the research body say that they rarely or never speak to their congregations about mental health. 65% of church-going family members of those with mental health issues want their church to talk about it openly. Obviously, you'd understand why. And 27% of churches have a plan to assist families um, affected by mental illness. Okay. It's as if the church is unsure or embarrassed to talk about mental health, but its congregations sure need it to. So um, let's look back at no, hold on, I'm not I'm going back. Let's look in our minds back at some of the statements in slide one and I'm going to unpick them a little bit, not all of them but some of them. The first one is is it due to sin? Is mental are mental health issues due to sin? Okay, so I'm gonna read this. So physical and mental suffering came with the fall. Look back at Genesis, and it will only end in heaven revelation 21 4 wipe every tear away and then jesus in john 16 in this world you will have tribulation but be a good cheer i have overcome the world i want to just unpick jesus's comments on the link between suffering and sin this is obviously physical suffering but we're including a holistic view of the body Jewish thought, mental suffering as well. So John 9, 1 to 12 is the story of the man born blind at birth. Now it's interesting that in this story, he does not come to Jesus. We're not quite sure what happened, whether Jesus just saw him in the crowd, picked him out. But there's no sense in which he came forward. Okay. But the disciples said, who sinned? Was it this man? Who sinned, or was it his parents who sinned so that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. Okay. Amazing. We'll unpack that a bit more. But we are not saying that mental or physical ill health is never a result of individual sin or our own actions. We can actually suffer from all kinds of physical ailments because we've neglected or abused our bodies, and the same can be said for our mental health. But in the church, the blame seems to be disproportionately allotted for mental health sufferers. Okay, I know that's not a black and white depiction, but we're looking at the Bible, that's what seems to come across. Okay. I want to quote um, Spurgeon on mental health, mental health struggles. He's (coughs) suffered himself from depression. Um, Had some fairly dreadful things happen to him in his life, so you can understand from that point of view. But Spurgeon has said, I would not blame all those who are much given to fear, for in some it is rather their disease than their sin, and more their misfortune than their guilt, their fault. Apparently, sorry. Um... And in another quotation, which I haven't got here, he asks people to be compassionate and not judgmental towards those who fear and those who seem um, to be struggling mentally. Uh, So what do we say? Spurgeon suffered from depression. Are we suggesting that he had individual sin issues they hadn't dealt with, as we all do, but if we're looking at it as a, you know, mental health as a result of, individual sin. We need to bear in mind not only that biblical characters, as we'll see later, suffered with anxiety, depression, different things, but actually some of the giants of our faith that we esteem also suffered from depression. Are we saying it was because of sin or lack of faith in them? Okay, let's go on to look at because of lack of faith. Right, sometimes... From the Bible, we know that healing seems to be due to faith. And Mark 5 is the woman with the issue of blood. And we know that Jesus said to her, Go in peace, your faith has made you well. Okay, so there's that link there. Sometimes, faith isn't mentioned. And we're going back in John 9 to the story of the man born blind. There's no indication that he came to Jesus. There's no mention of faith at all. Jesus simply said, This is um, so that the glory might, God's glory might come through. And then let's also consider that sometimes healing doesn't happen in this life. Sometimes people may be healed after you know a period of time, but sometimes people aren't healed. I know those of us who are older here probably have read um, the I don't know if it's pronounced Joni or Johnny Erickson book. Those who are younger may not know it. Who knows it here? Yeah, okay. So, th- so this was a young woman who, about the age of 17, became uh, paraplegic after a diving accident. And uh, she, she wrote a book, which is Joni, Johnny, however it's pronounced, um, about her struggles to come to terms with her life-changing injuries, <coughs> but also her struggles with faith, the things that were said to her, and over the last 40 years, she's run a, a ministry, I think it's called Jolie's Friends, um, sort of addressing issues of healing and disability, different things like that. So sometimes healing doesn't happen in this life. Okay, sometimes we're aware that, um, as I've said, Jesus didn't heal everybody. Sometimes he withdrew to a quiet place, leaving the crowds. And we have to imagine that in those crowds were probably people who did have issues and wanted healing. So, what do we make of it all? We're not saying that God can't heal or doesn't heal. Absolutely not. We know that he does. We know that he can. And not just physical issues, mental health issues. I know this is true. He is the great physician. However, suffering, both mental and physical, has a place in God's eternal purposes, hard as that is to hear. So think about Paul's thorn. Paul asked the Lord, I don't know how many times, to remove it. And God's response was, sorry, I've got it written down here. God's response was, my strength is sufficient for you. Okay, so... What might be some of these eternal purposes? We can only guess we're not God. We can only go to what is revealed in the Bible. So, firstly, to reveal that the glory is his, not ours. And this is 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 9. But we have this treasure, Holy Spirit, the life of God within us, in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and not from us. Paul says we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul also suggests that his thorn was to draw him closer to God independence. It's an interesting one. But I think where we are weak, we are more dependent on God. We know. We know that we can't do things in our own natural strength. So in many senses it does draw us closer to him. To be able to comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1.4 He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And then finally, to share fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. My goodness, don't we need to hear that and remind ourselves of that. But one who has been in all points tempted, just as we are, yet without sin. Okay. So, we're going to move on to one of the thorniest ones. Our mental health problems of the devil. Okay. Mental health issues, all mental health issues, are not of the devil, nor of any demons casting out. However, mental health issues and demon oppression or possession are two different things, but they can overlap. We are not saying there is no such thing as demonic activity. We live in a world yet to be redeemed where the devil wanders about like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. Remember, though, that we don't live in Hollywood world. The devil is a defeated enemy, not equal with God. Don't take your ideas from Hollywood. His goal is to get us to doubt God's goodness, number one, just as in Genesis, and also to persuade um, that he doesn't exist. Um, Take a look at the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis screw tape letters. We also have the weapons to defeat him. Ephesians and James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians is um, the weapons of our spiritual warfare. We also have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Let me just remind you, there can be but one king on the throne. A Christian cannot be possessed. Though we can be tempted, we can be oppressed. Okay. Interestingly, the Bible recognises the difference between mental health issues and demon possession. We're clearly told about the Gadarene demoniac, the one we know, where the spirits were cast into the pigs and the pigs all rushed down the cliff into the sea, Mark 5. That's clear. Did the Bible have an understanding of Mental health issues at all, or is it always seen as demonic oppression? Yes, it did have an understanding. There is an understanding of mental health issues there. There's this funny little story in 1 Samuel 21 about um, David uh, with the Philistines um, running from Saul and being frightened about what his reception would be like among the Philistines. And he pretends to be mad. He's doing all sorts of things, I can't remember what they were, but dribbling into his beard was one of them, I think. And um, the um, governor or the king of the Philistines said, "Oh, for goodness' sake, do we need another madman in this court?" So there's a recognition. Okay, that wasn't demon possession. That was recognised as mental health issue. Okay, there are some mental disorders can look demonic. We're probably talking here about schizophrenia or psychotic episodes, but there are differences. I won't go into them here, but um, I will if you ask later in the Q&I, just to take up time. Um, interesting book called Strength for His People by, um, again, a stateside pastor called Stephen Waterhouse, whose brother suffered from schizophrenia, um, has outlined the differences, and there are differences. His recommendation is always go down the medical route first. Go down the medical route. If medicine doesn't treat it, if medicine doesn't cure it, if medicine doesn't manage it, then look at a spiritual course. But go down the medical route. Okay. Um, Yeah. Bible characters. Bible characters in pain. We're in good company, folks. (laughs) Some of these you will know. Elijah. Poor Elijah. Elijah, take my life, I've had enough. (laughs) That's the point Elijah got to after the battle with the, the prophets of Baal. Take my life, I've had enough. Yeah, I think that's suicidal thinking, depression, whatever else, yeah. The response to that was that God sent an angel to give him something to eat, to tell him to rest and to encourage him that there were many others who had not bowed the knee to Baal. That doesn't sound like judgment, does it, from God? No. Okay. And David. David, my goodness, read the Psalms of David. He's either rejoicing or he's way down there. So Psalm 38, I am about to fall and my pain is ever with me. But as we've seen, he was never rebuked by God for that. He felt he could come to God with all of those feelings and be heard. Job, I don't think we need to mention, Job is absolute hero of um, withstanding and holding faith in God through the most appalling tragedies in his life. And, note, his friends were no help whatsoever. What did his friends do? There must be sin in your life. <laughs> Back up, Job. <laughs> Okay, interesting and then Jesus Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, my soul is exceeding sorrowful my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death okay it's there, and on the cross my God, my God, why have you forsaken me these things are there in our Bibles legitimised Feelings, difficult feelings. None of them indicate that God turns his back on us because of those. One Peter one six to seven has an eternal perspective really on this. We've we've looked at the fact that physical and mental pain will not come to an end until the end of times, when we are reassured that every tear will be wiped away. But in Peter We have, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, might result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. God does not send things upon us to refine our faith. But he is sovereign. He is sovereign. And there is a sense in which our holiness is more important than our wholeness. And that can be a hard thing to grasp. But there's an eternal perspective there. Okay. Helping others. I'm hoping that in everything that we've looked at and said today, that it'll be implicit how we help others. Um, But this was on a website again an American website from a mental health sufferer it's a very basic way that we can help others we don't have to be experts and actually we need to acknowledge that we're not experts we do need to um, work at our level and I have to say do what we can but encourage people to seek help from their GP Don't uh, judge people for taking medication. Medication could be extremely helpful. It is not unchristian to take medication for depression or anxiety. It's just the same as taking a pill for your gout or whatever. I've never had gout, by the way. (laughs) Helping others. And what this person said is, be patient, listen. Don't jump in with solutions. Just listen, hear their story. They actually need to pour out their story. They need to be heard. Do you know that actually being heard can be one of the most important things? You don't have to fix them. You don't have to bring a solution. But just to be heard. I think we know that as therapists. Sometimes people come for one session and you listen to them. At the end of the session they'll say, I feel so much better. And they may never come again. You think, well, I didn't do anything. You did, you heard, you listened. Didn't interpose your own stuff. Be caring even if we want to push away. So, people who are suffering from particularly depression don't always want to connect with you, interact with you, and sometimes they can't. So, continue to be caring. That might be bringing them a meal, it might be like doing their shopping, it might be saying, Can I look after your garden? Can I look after your dog? Be caring. People notice that. It says a lot. It says that you are a safe person and you're someone who they may talk to later. Ask what we need or what would be helpful. Ask them. Yeah. Don't assume you know, but ask is there anything I can do? I'm here for you. Is there anything I can do? Okay. And then pray for us on your own or with us if we ask. Okay. So Again, you need to be invited into someone's space, yeah? You actually do need to be invited into someone's story, into someone's pain, into someone's difficulty. And often that's through doing these things, yeah? Sometimes our own anxiety causes us to want to bring solutions, fix people. Sometimes because we're anxious ourselves about their issue, it triggers something in us and we want to fix them because actually we want to know there's a fixing for us. No, just listen, that's so important. Pray for them on your own or with them if they ask. Okay. And I'm just going to carry on to some links. This is important to, to say. As I've said, GP, we're not the experts, okay? And 999 or A&E in emergencies. And I'm talking here really about people who are suicidal or who you think might be or people who actually confess to having suicidal thoughts um to cope you know you're not going to be in that situation very often but it's there counselors okay the two links here are acc which is association of christian counselors um, and there's lists on the website and the other one is the organization i used to belong to which is the british association of counselors and psychotherapists and these are all people who have trained and they are registered and accredited. So they've gone through significant training, they're under supervision, they're safe people to contact if they're on those lists. <clears throat> but again, with, with counsellors, you know, as with, as with anything, sometimes you have to try it out. Sometimes you have to go to someone and think, I'm not really connecting with that person. So try again, try someone else. Yeah, You have to connect with that person. Childline, which you all know. Mind. Mind has some really good stuff on the website. Um, Papyrus Hope Line is one that you... Does anybody know Papyrus? little Papyrus. I did some training with Papyrus about two years ago, and it's prevention of young suicide. Um, So again, they have a helpline, what they call a hope line, um, which you can call. You can call, actually, if you are the relative or parent or carer or someone close to someone who is having suicidal thoughts, and you need some help, you need some support. Um, They do a very, very good (coughs) training if anybody's interested in that. Um, Get self-help, your handouts are from that website. And that website's really good because you can download and print off a lot of stuff um, that's really, really helpful. And then the last one, the Mind and Soul Foundation, is a Christian organisation based in London. Again, there's lots of good stuff on their website. They also provide um, speakers um, run by a reverend, I think, who came out of HTB his own church in London, a psychiatrist and a psychologist, um, and coming at it from a Christian perspective. So there's lots of stuff on there, including sheets on a lot of the issues I've talked about today.